Hello there, all you cyclones, all you roosters, all you mavericks and icemen, and welcome back to Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, the best and most esteemed podcast for Academy Award do-overs. I'm Lee. And I'm Spro, and our destiny is to rewrite Oscar history one gold man at a time. Welcome, everyone, to our year-in-review episode for 2022. Hooray! I was uh, <laughs> I was unhappy with their year in review last year. It was it was mostly us talking about potential Oscar movies, which then made our actual Oscar companion episode more than a little redundant. Remember in season one when we recorded four hours for our year in review and then only released half of it? <laughs> when we pontificated for forty five minutes on films like Mank. Yes, yes. In fact. The, the episode is called Year in Review Volume 1, and instead of releasing Volume 2, we just released our Oscars pre-show. Well, and that's how lost episodes happen. Uh, last year, you talked about the possible death of cinemas in Dune, and I talked about the death of the Golden Globes and how shite the Critic Choice Awards were because of Don't Look Up. Oh my gosh. Mm. Uh, don't Look Up. <laughs> this year, I want to talk the state of film. As we see it, highlight some entertainment news. What were you thinking? I just want to talk. I just want to talk <laughs> films. <laughs> I just want to talk films from 2022 without worrying about award season. Share our takes on standouts, flameouts, our favorites. It's going to be hard. We say this every year, but like a lot of shit came out this year. Yeah. Your boy QT even said this is perhaps the worst era of movie making. Do you think streaming services with their own movies are splashing the pot a bit with shit, making it harder to even find the good? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I definitely feel stretched thin trying to keep up with the new and the old cinema for this humble little show. Like, I, I physically felt movie watching fatigue this year. Yeah. <laughs> Like by the end of the year, I was like, I can't like we have this list of movies that we want to check out because we know that they're going to be nominated. But this year, like I was like, I can't like until somebody tells me I have to watch it. I can't just randomly be watching movies anymore because I keep stumbling into dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully we can scrape that off of our porch of life right here on this episode today. And really what I found is that sometimes just watching the old stuff like we just did an episode for I know movies and you don't for stand by me. And I sometimes feel like watching that old stuff, watching the old greats helps me digest the new. I agree with you completely. But also when I say old and new, I mean, I I'm talking about stuff that came out in the first quarter of, of 2022, which already feels old. Everything moves so goddamn fast. It feels like <laughs> cinematic turnover is going to catch up with the news cycle. One of these days. I, I got to say, sometimes I'm jealous of people who get to watch and write about movies for a living, but sometimes it just sounds like a lamentable existence. Yeah. Well, and I shit on movie critics a lot, but you got to like every time they write something, there's going to be at least one Reddit boy out there. Someone being like, bro, your opinion sucks. And I hope you get your throat slit. You know, like just the <laughs> Internet is a foul place. Totally. Also, I dare I dare say this. Movies don't make the audiences audiences make the blockbusters so if movies are so bad currently does that mean the audiences suck well the audiences are showing up and and putting down money uh we'll get more into that a little bit later so i don't know if they suck i'm not gonna crap on somebody who was really (laughs) excited for maverick or for wakanda forever just because i wasn't so maybe a more precise way of putting it would just be to say that mass audiences know what they want from Hollywood, and they'll show up to the theaters when Hollywood gives it to them. 
Well, the audiences are still showing up, like you said, for the Marvels and the sequels. But other than Top Gun and Maverick or Top Gun, Maverick and the Batman, I haven't heard audiences really kind of love any of the top 10 box office films this year. The more Hollywood tricks the audience into going to theaters, the more audiences will probably stay home, I think. Maybe. Yeah, I think in, in 2023, Marvel has the potential to really mend their reputation after a couple of really weak years. Two of their three releases this year are going to be huge. Guardians 3 and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. The latter of which is going to be everybody's first look at Kang the Conqueror. Wasn't he in one of the shows? He was in one of the shows, wasn't I he? He was watched, like in Loki. I haven't watched the shows. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think... Oh, maybe it was just a statue. Here's the thing when it comes to Marvel is I feel like it's an addiction, right? Like if you look at like, I feel like like Endgame to me, I will never crap on the first three phases just because Endgame was such an iconic cinematic moment, you know, Mm -hmm. like you could throw up Endgame to with for me, like the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like there was just something about this communal. Take it easy. (laughs) (laughs) There was just something about this communal experience of everybody going to the movies and finally like sitting down for opening nights and just being completely jazzed with energy. Oh, yeah. And you got to understand, like, that's not just the movie. Like, that's the feeling that you got sitting in the theater. And the one thing that I hope everybody understands is you will never have that feeling again with Marvel. That was your first hit of heroin, buddies. And now, like, (laughs) now you're just chasing the dragon. And it's like, whatever Marvel puts out, like, and right now, you kind of feel like you have to keep up. You have to watch all these TV shows. You have to watch the movies. Because if you don't imbibe everything possible, you won't get that first hit feeling again. What you're really getting excited for in the future, I feel, and I could be wrong, and I, I would love to be wrong, but what I think you're getting excited for is perhaps the rise of the Skywalker. Which I got excited for. The trailer were just you, sucked me in. <laughs> did, did it do everything I came, you wanted I came to out do? Of the, I came out of Rise of Skywalker with a group of people. One of, the, one of our friend's dads came with us, and he's... He just immediately looked at me and he's like, well, what'd you think? And I was like, nah, I liked it. He was Such like, a and dad just question. <laughs> started shaking his head. No. And I was like, you didn't like it. He's like, it had no soul. I was like, oof. I'm like, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a dummy. Like I'll get caught up in something. And then I, I need, I need time to reflect. Reflection is a huge part of my identity. And then, you know, formulating my opinions. I don't know if that makes me unique. Probably not, but I'm not, I'm not good at like, immediately having an opinion about something i need time to to percolate yeah i'm the same like i get super jazzed for james bond movies other than the last one but like after most of them coming out of the theater i'm like yeah i just love that the james bond exists in this world and rada rada rah. but like the last one i walked out i was like i don't think i like that one Still um, watched it. So, you haven't mm, you no don't time have to. to die no time to give a shit <laughs> so we started this podcast during the covid shutdown you pontificated on the death of the theater last year so mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm. think we're still watching the end of cinema um i'll try and be brief because i i think we're, we're retreading the same ground but my first answer is a long answer and hollywood is an international business as much as it's about art for you and i for me you and me it's about money for studios and investors. So let's use the almighty dollar as our metric. I looked up some numbers and I found that from January to August of 2019, the domestic box office earned $7.73 billion, which are of course pre-pandemic numbers. However, from January to August of 2022, the domestic box office earned $5.32 billion, a difference of almost 
two and a half billion dollars. Now, that's less, but it doesn't spell the death of cinema for me. But that's a third of its revenue in three years. Yeah, well, fuck all that. Okay, <laughs> Most industries took a big fat hit because of COVID and the lockdowns. Debatable CEO pay and profit margins have skyrocketed for some companies. Well, everyone else has had to adjust and adapt. Why the fuck? You always fucking argue with me about everything. I'm very, like, I don't know. It's my anar- anarchistic nature. I just, I... My favorite title of any Aerosmith album has been Eat the Rich, because fuck the rich. Mm, I'm surprised you didn't like the the menu then. All right. (laughs) Everyone else, like I said, had to adjust and adapt. I don't see a whole lot of innovation happening in Hollywood or in American movie theaters. So if cinemas fold, I'm not taking any of the blame. That shit's on them. And unfortunately, I think what that means is it's in everybody's best interests, or rather the interests of their, their wallet. Their wallets! To keep rebooting Spider-Man and Batman and Jurassic Park and Star Wars and Toy Story and Minions and all the other whiz-bang rainbow-colored bird shit that dum-dums everywhere keep paying to swallow. But they need to figure out a way to make them a little bit more cost-effective. Because eventually the wells are gonna dry up on Marvel and Star Wars and all the rest of the IPs. Huh, I like that. So So that was your long answer. What's your short answer? Oh, right. Uh, Morbius. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk top box office of 2022. Spro, take us through. All right, so right now, of course, uh, when you're listening to this, Avatar has blown up and has surpassed Top Gun Maverick. But for 2022, Top Gun Maverick was the top film of the... I mean, that one was in the theaters like Titanic, man. That was yeah, there was. forever. That was cool. Um, yeah. Not made, the movie, but it's, 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 it's staying power. <laughs> well, the movie was pretty cool, too. So <laughs> number one, That's Top Gun Maverick. Two, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Three, Doctor Strange and the Multitude or Multiverse of Madness. Four, Jurassic World Dominion. Five, Minions, The Rise of Gru. You know what I'm noticing here? Why don't people just say, like, are they trying to say, like, these aren't sequels by doing the little subtitles instead of, like, Black Panther 2, Doctor Strange, whatever, Jurassic World 3 or 6, depending on. I think it's a well-known fact that cocaine and confidence breeds um, colons and subtitles. Heard it here first. The Batman (laughs) is number six. Seven was Avatar The Way of the Water. I think by now it's number one. Eight, Thor, Love and Thunder. Nine, Spider-Man, No Way Home. And then finally, number 10, Sonic the Hedgehog (laughs) 2. I'm just glad that they used a, a, a number. <laughs> they did. That's true. That's true. No cocaine on the Sonic the Hedgehog set. And I'm, am I the only one reeling from the fact that Sonic the Hedgehog movies are making money? I mean, I know they never really stopped making Sonic games, but Christ alive. When was the last time the blue hedgehog was truly relevant are you are you reeling in a good way like you're super excited for oh, your inner child I, I mean, or are you I, reeling in a- i'm just surprised i i could care i could care less I, I i couldn't care less but yeah no i'm just it's just surprising to me that there are enough people <laughs> willing to go and see i want to meet somebody that saw sonic the hedgehog 2 more than once in the theater and they're like i'm going back <laughs> <laughs> So the final box office tally was seven point, we'll just say $7.3 billion. Nothing to sneeze at. For everything? For everything. For everything. The, okay. There was one year, I don't know if it's still true. I could have looked it up, but I didn't for our audience. But there was one year at least where Hollywood was the number two GDP um, for America. Like it was like our biggest export was all of our entertainment. Jeez. Um, 
So I don't know if we're that's still number two. There was in 2018, the box office made 11.9. So that's kind of like the goal that you're going for. So we're more than halfway there. In 2020, it was 2.1 billion is what they made. So I mean, like that was that was a huge hit. Well, Comparably, yeah, our year was about as good as 1999 was the last time that Hollywood made $7.3 billion. Do you know the number one film of that year? Uh, I would guess it was The Matrix. Mm, Star Wars Episode One: The oh, Phantom Menace. Duh. Whoops. <laughs> so... According to Metacritic, the best film of the year, which you will not be hearing us talk about today, because mm-hmm. none of neither of us, I don't even know where to see it, is After Sun. And then Rotten Tomatoes critics are giving the number one film of the year to a film called No Bears. It looks interesting. I can't tell if it's, it, it, it clearly looks like a dramatization, but it's listed as a documentary. And the guy playing, I could have read this all wrong, but it looks like the guy <laughs> playing the lead is, is the actual documentarian. It's weird because when you do go into the critic list, like usually the top films are documentaries. So it's like, do we count that? Do we not? What are we doing I, here? I say count it. Count cool. it. All right. So a little peek behind the curtain is that a lot of the times when we're recording the episode, we put a lot of our notes together and we share the notes and everything. And, and I put together this whole list of all the fun facts that happened in 2022. And the next time I like I spent like hours on this list of like just looking up different lists of different things, pop culture, international politics, all these things. And I was like, these are the most, probably the most prominent, the most interesting. And the next time I went into the document, there was a little, there was a footnote on it of Lee saying, this is the most boring shit I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) No, it didn't say that. It was funnier than that. (laughs) It was more clever than that. So, but for archival purposes, because we're going to, like you said, the world is moving fast. The world is moving super fast. We're going to forget half of this shit happened, even though half of this shit, a lot of people obsessed about for at least a month in this year. So, so much happened this year. I figured I would just throw a reminder in. And also, here's the thing. What I say most on this podcast is art is a reflection of society. And what came out the most to me from our conversation with Aliyah Kanani is there are films to entertain like the Marvels and Top Guns, the kind of movies MC and I talk about on Second Chance Cinema. And there are important films, what you and I try to talk about here. People like to poo-poo the Academy Awards. And the sad thing is the Academy Awards are listening to these people and integrating the entertaining films into their show, which should, at its core, find the most important films of the year. Find the films that speak to us. Find the films that reflect us back. The film that showed us who we are in 2022 or who we were during a certain other period, whether that's through a very pointed small story of a family or a sprawling war epic. Through our Best Picture in the World episode, we were able to tell that the Academy Awards are actually the United States Film Awards, from its audience to its nomination pool. So they should focus on finding the most important, quote unquote, American film of the year. The fact that we interviewed Canadians, and now like I cannot say America when referencing the United States, is like tripping my brain. <laughs> But it takes several years for a film to develop. So which of those is which of these instances I'm about to read, which occurred in 2022, needs to be a film to help us better understand ourselves and our experiences. So I'm going to read through these. And if you think they would be a good film, Mr. Lee, say yes or no. 
Okay, I will. All right. So, overpopulation. The world population reached 8 billion people. Uh, no. Yeah. Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion after some kerfuffle. I would assume there will be a documentary about that sooner rather than later. It would almost be like a social network movie, right? I don't know. A lot of this stuff on this list, you pay attention to because you are more geopolitically minded than I am. I just keep watching movies, man. <laughs> I just stay. I just try to stay in my lane. I mean, some of this stuff, I, I, yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask this about. <laughs> Cryptocurrency crashed. Documentary. The Taylor Swift Ticketmaster debacle. Fuck no. No? Here's the problem with Ticketmaster, though. Like, remember our day? Remember back in our day when the concert was coming out and you had to stand in line at the Giant Eagle or the Tops or the Finest or whatever the shopping center was. And all like you had to camp out to be first in line. And if you were first in line, you got first dibs at tickets. And now Ticketmaster just buys everything up super quick. Okay. I don't really give a shit. (laughs) I don't care. Do you go to concerts? Very rarely. Oh. So the Olympics happened in Beijing. February 4th to the 20th. It's the last time the world plays nicely. Right, right after that, Russia says they're invading Ukraine. Dude, you're such a bastard. Uh, I don't know because the situation is in flux and evolving and involves, you know, pretty much at this point, it's it's an unnamed world war. It is crazy, though, that Russia was like, waited for the day after the Olympics to be like, okay, so now that the party's over, shit's going down. So Russia invaded Ukraine and all the shit that entails gas prices, food shortages, highest food prices ever, racism everywhere, etc. Do you think there's going to be because there's a lot of movies or there's there's a lot of with the sad fact I slipped on that. There's a lot of wars <laughs> that don't get movies. Do you think this one will eventually get a an American movie? No. Completely agree with you. Inflation. How did inflation affect you? My Juji Fruits went from $1 to $129 in March, and now they're $169 when I bought them on the 30th. That's why actually, we know if you're talking about this, what's your go-to movie theater candy? Mine are Juji Fruits, the delicious. I, if if I do get candy, it's usually Sour Patch Kids, but it's, it's normally just a big corn and a big soda. I used to go and get a box. They don't have them anymore. But I used to swing through like CVS or Walgreens and pick up uh, one of those boxes of chewy lemonheads and friends, but I can't find them anymore. Huh, good to know. My popcorn order is a medium popcorn, butter only in the middle. So it's like a little, it's like a prize to get to. The biggest way that, in, that the inflation affected me is that my wife and I have a very long commute to work. So gas prices kind of gutted us, but... Do I think they're going to make a movie about it? No. Global death toll of COVID reached 6 million in March. Will there be a COVID movie? Again, a lot of these events aren't isolated. They're pieces of a far larger puzzle. So will there be a eventually a cinematic examination of COVID? I, I could see it being more of a limited series, but sure. It's weird think, that like Knives Out we, Glass Onion was applauded for putting masks in their movie. And it was like, yeah, no, that's kind of what we all went through. I don't think we, well, yeah, because it was like, yeah, I remember hearing people be like, oh, that was the first film, uh, post-COVID film that takes place during the pandemic that, you know, really shows the reality. It's like, who cares? Who gives a fuck? It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna date the movie. A and B. It was a throwaway because as soon as they sprayed the binaca in their mouths, they were able to take the mat. It's like, so why even include that part? Because it, it positions the film historically. Who gives a fuck? Uh, the Oscar slap. There's gonna be no movie, but I figured I would throw that out there. The other thing that happened this year that everybody seemed to be obsessed about was the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. That was effing everywhere. 
My nerdy brain, super excited for some string theory shit. The Large Hadron Collider is back up and running after a couple repairs. Do you get into string theory at all? I sure don't. Okay, bro. Monkeypox. Should we worry? (laughs) Should we not? We should not. Okay. The Mexican border, still fucked up, still tragic. Trump and Biden don't have a fucking plan to save lives. In June, for example, 53 migrants found dead in a tractor trailer. Do you think Hollywood needs to make a film so that the general public kind of understands what's going on at the southern border instead of just shouting headlines at each other? Yeah, there's a there's a book called The Circuit by Francisco Jimenez, which is about stories of an immigrant child. And it, it deals with coming coming over to the United States. Um, there was a sequel as well called Breaking Through. I think you could make a very telling and revelatory film from those books. But yeah, that would be one that I think would is needed. Um, Serena Williams retired. Are we going to get a movie about her or King Richard? Is it? I would say King Richard's probably it, but you'll see it. You'll see in maybe 25, 30 years, you'll see a documentary comprehensive doc on Serena, maybe sooner. 30 for 30. Equal pay achieved for women and men's national soccer team. I, I think it's wonderful. Is it, is it worthy of a film? Probably not. God, I actually, I have told everybody in my Hollywood circle, and I'm going to tell you, dear listeners, my dream project is to write the film of the 1999 Women's World Cup win where Brandy Chastain rips off her shirt at the end and like screams to the heavens. I want to write that movie, but make it rated R because there's a documentary on YouTube that shows them in the huddle and like there's cursing at each other and everything like that. And I'm like, man, a woman's movie that's rated R that like is filled with swearing and whatnot, like that needs to happen in this world. The next goal would decide the championship. Netflix just bought the rights to that whole thing and then put out like this cheesy video of them being like, oh my gosh, we're going to have a movie about our experiences on the soccer field. And I was like, oh, this is going to be some PG bubblegum little girls. You can do it movie. And I want, I want real. So whatever. Here's a question. How do you buy the rights to just something that happened? Did they have to go through FIFA to buy those rights? Usually I defer that to my producers. What I do know is there is some gray area. If anything has been written about in newspapers or the trades, that is pretty much fair game. But to get people like behind the project and whatnot, you kind of approach them and get the rights. So like there's one project that I was just pitched. He was never written about in the papers. So they went and got the life rights of this deceased man from his son for the movie. And so kind of like it's we have complete control over his story in a weird way. So when Baz Luhrmann makes an Elvis film and then Sofia Coppola is coming along to make the Priscilla film, those are two separate life rights? Yes. But you probably don't have to get Elvis's life rights only because if you do the film with everything that you can find in newspapers or anything like that, you could just say the facts are from the newspapers. That's what I was going off of. Mm. Uh, Kylie Jenner was caught taking a three minute flight. So this this would be a film about overconsumption of resources, misuse of resources, It'd be like, don't look up, but focusing on the overconsumption of the people that made don't look up. <laughs> you, you, you lost me at it would be like, don't look up. 
Amen al-Zawahiri dies, and we got that man with a weird corkscrewy type missile. Mm-hmm. He was the number uh, two of Al-Qaeda. It was, it's, it's just like a series of knives that come out, isn't it? And just shreds the body into... <laughs> Into sh- yeah, it was like a m- missile from outer chunks. space. Yeah, that could take out a person. Um, We're getting really good at figuring out ways to kill people. I think we've been pretty good at that. I'm just gonna read through these because I don't think there's gonna be a movie. Hurricane Ian was horrible this year. Fucked up Cuba and Florida. Puerto Rico still a goddamn mess. Is it gonna be a state? Who knows? They're pushing for it during election years. 153 people were crushed to death in a crowd in South Korea. There were 646 mass shootings in America in 2022. Wow. Have we, has there been a mass shooting movie? Elephant? Gus Van Sant's Elephant? That, it's, in a weird way in my mind, I separate mass shootings and school shootings. Hmm. Has there been like a mass shooting not in a school movie? Not that I can think of. Okay. I know Ohio took away the need for a gun license, probably elsewhere. So now you're free to get your gun. Abortion is no longer federally protected, says those bipartisan nonsensical Supreme Court. So you're not free to get an abortion. Kanye West said Hitler did some good things. That was that was an interesting time in 2022. The death of Masa Amini sparks protests in Iran after their morality police murder her. Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akla was killed by an Israeli sniper. America avoids a red wave, but the EU goes far right with Italy being the most conservative since 1945. And let's not forget about Israel. Oh my gosh, huge news. The queen died. Do you follow the royals at all? Did you care about the queen dying? Sure didn't. Oh my God, how not? Her funeral may have been the biggest televised event ever. I mean, I didn't watch it, but I watched The Crown. Boris Johnson retired. It was totally weird when Boris Johnson and Trump were in power, right? Two blonde men with weird hair. What what are the chances of that ever happening again? Probably nil. His successor doesn't last 100 days. And then Britain's first prime minister of color, Rishi Sunak, is in there. First Indian prime minister of Britain. NASA starts missions to put humans back on the moon and eventually Mars. In a bizarre twist, Biden's administration gives the Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman immunity in a lawsuit over the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, something not even Trump would do. And then finally, Brittany Griner is dealt out of a Russian prison. If you're a Republican, you hate it. If you're a Democrat, you love it. If you're independent, you're kind of just sitting back and going, now why the fuck are we dealing for people on marijuana crimes in other countries when we have 40,000 Americans slave laboring in American prisons for the same thing here? What would you see rather than a Top Gun Maverick or a uh, superhero movie? Just original stories, you know? <laughs> I don't need I don't need everything to be based in reality. Not everything needs to be the big short. I don't want everything to be the big short. Name me an American film that we celebrated in the last five years that has shown us ourselves, that has turned the camera around on us. Don't look up certainly tried to, but the <laughs> satirical angle didn't really work for me. That and you for, and I celebrated. <laughs> that you and I celebrated. I think the Banshees of Inisherin is a very interesting look at the way in which Irish pe- people live. people can well people the way in which people can go from a détente and even a friendship to embittered fighting. Yeah, absolutely. But America, like true American film, all the way through. We're not making. I just these films I just anymore. thought of Richard Jewell. Let's get a new tape going. All right, Richard. Here's what we're gonna do. We need a voice exemplar. 
I want you to say into this phone, there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Was that within the past five years? Yeah, it's 2019. Oh, well, good job. See? And I, I liked it. I thought that, that was, was the best, uh, Yeah, I thought that was a pretty pretty great movie. Um, I did like it too. How about, I the, don't Irish, know why. How about the Irishman? I like it. Yeah. I watched it again. I actually listened to it because I was at the dentist for like fucking three hours. It's probably like better it. to listen to it because, man, I did not like the age, the age technology for that time even. Yeah, but, you know. Don't talk shit about Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like it, they got better at the age. What is oh, it called? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, age. Uh, de-aging. Age. Yeah, the de-aging process with the new Indiana Jones coming out. Looks like it's better. Or maybe it just yep. some people have a face for it and De Niro and Pesci. <laughs> the de-aging of De Niro, his face looked younger. His back was still hunched. <laughs> like, and it was like, oh, that's an old man with a young face. All right. Well, thank you for entertaining me. What will happen in 2023 and beyond based on what we've seen in 2022? Only time will tell. But some ideas for me. I think in the future, one Avatar movie will be introduced on Meta Goggles or whatever you call them. Avatar 5, maybe. That's intriguing. I, I don't think I would do it because it would probably make me throw up, but it's still intriguing. I think to occupy the same space as a film is the next logical step, which is why I really enjoy immersive video games and the the interactivity of immersive video games. But I don't know if I could uh, v- virtual reality. I get motion sickness at the drop of a hat, so <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be terrible for me. On the same subject, virtual schooling by 2030 will be meta goggles. Yeah, you can count me the fuck out on that. <laughs> My one friend predicted two years ago that the presidential election of 2024 would not include either Biden or Trump. And I'm beginning to agree. I, who gives a Frenchman's fuck? What? <laughs> you, you 150 just need to find, million you need Americans. To find, then go find one of them and do a news podcast. <laughs> Jesus Emily, H. if you want Christ. to come up. <laughs> you don't care about the presidential election I of America? I sure do not. <laughs> That's why we got what we got. All right. Next year's biggest movie will be either Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Dune Part 2, or Fast 10. Yeah, you're probably right. And one I'd really like to see make a ton of money and just surprise the hell out of everyone is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Because it's not going to be my beloved Indiana Jones. I don't think anybody's going to be shown. Well, people will show up. People my age and your age and maybe older and maybe a little younger, but... I think yeah, Indiana Jones is going to get that like tentative first weekend until mm-hmm. people like hear whether it's the Last Crusade or it's the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, mm-hmm. and based off of those returns, we'll then go see it. Well, I hope it's neither. I'd like to see something very fresh and new, and I'm very excited that James Mangold is directing and not Spielberg. Even though it seems to be causing some ripples amongst film critics that it's not a true Indiana Jones film because it's not directed by Spielberg, but. I'm happy to see see Spielberg pass it over. He even said, you know, how he toasts champagne before the first shot of every film and, you know, to like a successful shoot and everything. There's footage of him even being like, oh, the next one, they'll probably get some young kid to direct. And I don't know if Mangold's not a young kid, but comparatively to Spielberg, he is. So I'm, I'm excited. Indiana Jones to me is kind of like what Americans James Bond could be. Like, I just want when Harrison Ford was like, nobody's going to play Indiana Jones but me. I was like, uh, like, I'm glad that it's not Chris Pratt. 
like I'm glad you know Chris Pratt's not going to be Indiana Jones, but I do wish that they found an inter- like a young Harrison Ford kind of to take over the mantle. You know who I think could do it? David Harbour. Yeah, that would be an interesting choice. I think he would be but, great. And Indiana Jones is such a fun character. Like, sure. Don't let it die. Well, I'm okay with them not making any more. With everything coming out, I think the box office next year will exceed $9 billion. Yeah, well, we went over the numbers. It's going up. Yep. And then the last thing I'll predict is one Spro and Lee take on the Academy episode in 2023 will re- be recorded live and in person. By in person? You mean you and I together in the same room? Yes. I could not be happier about this. And I might as well drop dime for anyone who isn't a close friend and doesn't know. My wife and I, after 15 years in the American Southwest, are coming home to Cleveland at the end of May. We're going to finish our careers where we began our lives, close to family, close to friends, covered in snow, scratching mosquito bites, and voting Republican. But seriously, I've had my fill of the desert. And speaking personally, this place... It's kind of always felt indescribably foreign, and it still does even after a decade and a half. I hope someday in the not-too-distant future that all Spro and Lee episodes will be recorded in person, because just like virtual schooling, virtual podcasting creates an inferior product. (laughs) And then most of the podcasts out there went, what? (laughs) You need to share the same space for an interaction. Um, Yeah, we'll see about the, uh, I don't know how much time I have in Cleveland. The most exciting thing about my screenplays being purchased, one, the money is really good. But two, the fact that if you're on a movie set, you're living somewhere else for three months. And I want that. Like I want to live in different places for three months and just like try to conquer like all the areas. So who knows? I got it out of my system. I got it out of my system. Wait for winter, man. Do they not have mosquitoes in Arizona? They do, but I have never once gotten a mosquito bite. Everybody talks about it. And it's like, this this is a desert. Mosquitoes are in, are in swamps. What's happening in your home and your yard that you have mosquitoes biting you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, my yard is a swamp, I guess. All right. So you're done now with your, your, your news and your predictions? Yes, we could talk about movies. Jesus. So we have a tradition on these year interviews where we discuss our mistakes because Spro, in his infinite humility, believes that if we're going to point out the Academy's mistakes, we better be ready to point out our own. So the first mistake that I found was in episode 301, and we were talking about Brick. I misquoted the following lines. Principal Truman says, you didn't know this boy. And Brendan says, no, sir, never seen him. And Truman says, and he just hit you. And Brendan says, like I said, he asked for my lunch money first. Good thing I brown bagged it. I don't remember how I phrased it, but it was super wrong and it's bugged me for half a year. And then the next mistake that I found was in our best picture in the world episode when we criticized the Academy for omitting Scarborough for best international feature and kind of giving hand of God that nomination that should have gone to Canada. But that was an oversight on our part because according to AMPAS rules, any film where English is the predominant language spoken becomes ineligible regardless of the country from which it came. So I feel like we should have known that one. When it was called the best foreign language film, it made sense. But now that they changed it to best international film, less so. 
Yeah, it appears so. <laughs> BAFTA's comparable award is called Best Film Not in the English Language, <laughs> which is sort of on the nose. <laughs> but I don't think we relegated it to just Best Inner Foreign Language National Award. We said Best Ever, which brings me to another point. We really liked Scarborough, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, Drive My Car, and The Worst Person in the World. Academy's top 10 movies of last year were Drive My Car, Coda, Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, King Richard, Belfast, Dune, Nightmare Alley, Don't Look Up, Reading That, I Don't Want It to Be 10 Films Anymore. (laughs) Yeah, right. What of these ones from last year would you take down, if any, to replace with our three remaining phase because Drive My Car is already up there? Yeah, I think Belfast and Don't Look Up get shit canned for Scarborough and Worst Person in the World. And if I'm being honest, I'm going to kick Coda to the curb too and give its spot to Lunana Yak in the Classroom. Coda is a harmless, sweet little picture, but it had no business being nominated for Best Picture, let alone winning. I just hear like Emily in my headphones being like, oh, you didn't like it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, not for Best Picture, I didn't. I don't hate that. I'd keep Coda and drop West Side Story. It was cute, Spielberg. In seventh grade, I recreated Dumb and Dumber because I liked the movie so much. And I get the want and the urge to do it, but the should? I nah. <laughs> nah, man. I don't think you should have. No, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I couldn't even finish it. I watched the first hour and then I'm like, I've seen enough. Moving on. This next one's not so much a mistake. You and I referenced the movie Babe way too much this season. It, it began in, in earnest and then it became a joke by episode 307. But God to the damn, too much Babe talk. Did you find any mistakes? I didn't. Our guests sometimes misspoke, you know, but then in the same instance, like, I think we, we allow them to. <laughs> we yeah, wrote I can, a lot. I can of, we researched and wrote a lot of the last season. So I can think of one guest mistake. Up. Do you want to call them out? Yeah, I do. Because she would call me out. (laughs) (laughs) Emily said that Troy Kotzer won Best Actor, which he did not. He won Best Supporting Actor. So get your facts straight, Em. (laughs) All right. Well, as usual, we will offer a piece of Spro and Lee take on the Academy swag to anybody that can come to us with a mistake made by Spro or myself, not by one of our guests. So hit us up if you found one. Next on the docket, I just wanted to talk about the National Film Registry, class of 2022. Every, every year, 25 movies are chosen and entered into the National Film Registry within the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Here are some of last year's most notable inductees. The Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn rom-com vehicle, Charade, Charade? The Black Exploitation classic Superfly from 1972, Brian De Palma's adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie of 1976, my favorite John Waters film, Hairspray, starring Ricky Lake, mm-hmm. Disney's The Little Mermaid, my second favorite romantic comedy, When Harry Met Sally. What's your first? The Apartment. Okay. The feature film debut of Kid and Play, House Party, and House Party's over 30 years old. That hurts. A new one is coming out. Of course it is. <laughs> a reboot. And the granddaddy of them all, Iron Man from 2008. And here's one I wouldn't call notable per se, but I thought it absolutely bared mentioning. A short film from 1963 called Scorpio Rising, which is described by Wikipedia thusly. An army of gay Nazi bikers. I'll say that again. An army of gay Nazi bikers experience pain and pleasure as sexual and sadistic symbols are intercut. What's that movie called again? Scorpio Rising. 
It's made by um, a man who spent his entire career making short films and whose influences are actually rather wide-reaching. I was surprised because I'd never heard of him. And he's very old and very much still, still alive. <laughs> um, well, congrats to him. And one other notable piece of film history is we are now entering an interesting phase where movies, talkies specifically, are going to begin entering the public domain. So for example, this year, the first ever best picture winner, Wings, is now in the public domain. And every year, we're going to start seeing more and more of these movies enter the public domain. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I guess it means in 12 years, we're going to be able to show The Wizard of Oz on public broadcasting. Is that what that means? <laughs> public domain, when it comes like script-wise, is like anybody can then take the script and make their own movie off of it. So I don't know necessarily what the, I do know that Disney, like everybody's like, why does Disney keep remaking their films? Or why does things keep coming out of the vault to be resold and everything like that. That's mainly Disney re-upping its copyright for the films that they did. So as long as Disney keeps making and remaking The Little Mermaid, for example, they will always own the copyright to their oldest, The Little Mermaid. Snow White also in what, particular. What a bunch stuff. of fucking dicks. Yeah, like it's not it's not for the art. Like they didn't go, oh my gosh, you know what we could do? We could make Cinderella even better if we did it in live action. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about retaining their rights <laughs> and making a little bit more money off of the old rights that they have. It's like an old man hoarding his money. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's kind of sullying the the reputation of these once great films. I'm just glad they haven't done any that I really, truly gave a shit about. Yeah. Like well, Sword, and they, Sword in the Stone, Robin Hood. I don't think you can't do Robin Hood. I mean, I shouldn't say that. They can do whatever they want, and they probably fucking will. And I was going to say, Robin Hood's been done to death. Like, I don't but think not with animals. Disney probably. Uh, sure. But even so, like the last Disney movie that came out, I don't even know what it was called. I think it's Strange, Strange Land or Strange World. Yeah. I wonder if Disney can create new things because there was something out, Elemental is coming out for Pixar. And watching that, I was like, I don't, I might be done with Pixar. You know, yeah. like, so everything, not necessarily, I was going to say everything rises, everything falls, but I'm sure there's a Disney bailout somewhere in our future. Before we talk about all the movies that came out in 2022, let's make a deal. Any movie that comes up on our list to talk about, I want you to say the name out loud. And if we might talk about the movie for our Oscars pre-show, or the movie will probably not be remembered in three years, we don't talk about it now. Otherwise, we're just going to be rehashing in a couple of months or talking about something like Mank for too long. <laughs> Second time I shit on Mank this episode. Deal? That's pretty much all of these movies. <laughs> well, good luck then. Top Gun Maverick is out then. We'll <laughs> yep. end up talking about that for the Oscars show. X and Pearl, I don't think those are going to be nominated, but we'll probably be talking about them again in the future just simply because of the fact that the third in the trilogy will be coming out, Maxine. We'll then talk about it now. Ty West has embarked upon this grindhouse horror flick trilogy about, well, they're all about, I guess they're going to be all about different things. Let's start with X, which is about a few independent filmmakers with some big wet dreams. X comes hard with a clever script, lots of sass, lots of sex, and even more gore. So gird your loins on that. 
While working on X, West and his star Mia Goth wrote a backstory for Pearl, the enigmatic octogenarian and one of two roles Goth plays in the film. Anyway, she's the old lady and Pearl is her origin story. Both of these films came out this year. What did you, what was your opinion on X and, and Pearl, Mr. Spro? I don't think I was as hyped for X. I know when I saw it on the streaming services, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what the movie that everybody's talking about. And so I watched it. And to me, it was very well done for a horror movie. It was very nostalgic for like the way that it was done. But I think we're getting excited about Ty West as we were about Eli Roth when he came out like, ooh, a new horror director, you know? Yeah, I think West is better. Without a doubt. Plus, he's been around. You know, he isn't necessarily new. Yeah. I mean, you can say that. Like, what he did mostly like TV stuff, right? Uh, No, he's got The Innkeepers. He's got House of the Devil. Those were feature films. Gotcha. Look, I don't necessarily hate us looking because we need a new Wes Craven. And this was a good horror movie. If you like 80s horror movies, I'd say see X. And if you like 70s horror movies, I would say see Pearl. But if you're looking for the next original horror movie maker i think we're still waiting for that fair fine i would say overall i preferred x and britney snow was the standout for me i thought her performance felt so innate i thought she stole every scene she was in and i don't know if i laugh harder this year than the scene where she bursts the bubble of her oversexed male co-star by revealing that he didn't in fact rock her world it's called acting i am coming around on mia goth though she's She's fine in X. I think she's a little little subdued, but she really owns the screen in Pearl. Mind you, Pearl isn't as fun as X, which is why I kind of preferred X more, but Pearl's not bad. Pearl gets billed as a comedy horror, and I've heard other people talk about it and say that it was funny, and I didn't find it too funny. <laughs> I think I possess a pretty dark sense of humor, but maybe not the intelligence to sift through and find the humor. Okay, next on the list, Everything Everywhere All at Once. We can skip, obviously, because it's more than likely going to be nominated for Best Picture and slew of other things. And I mean, there's a real good chance it's going to win Best Picture, but uh, we'll talk about that on the Oscar show. Next, then, is The Northman, which, I mean, I don't think it'll be up for Best Picture, but it will more than likely be up for Best Cinematography and maybe some other technical awards. So I'll leave leave it up to the boss. I'd be sad if this is nominated for for cinematography. It's a it's a it's an undeniably beautiful film. I'll have to rewatch it. Maybe. Yeah, we could skip it. We'll come back to the Northman if it's not nominated. This next one's not. Yeah, this next one is not going to be nominated, which is Alex Garland's Men, the f- his third and most poorly received film. A lot of folks poured cement over this movie, and even those who enjoyed it couldn't really construe the final sequence. Roughly an hour or two after watching this movie, I had a mild panic attack. I suffer from generalized panic disorder, for which I am medicated. Occasionally, I'll still have an unsettled moment. It could have been all the caffeine and the lack of sleep, or it could have been men. Who knows? Love it or hate it, men is going to have an impact on you. Yeah, like I only could recommend this movie to one other person. I liked men. I really like Jesse Buckley, but it's bizarre. It is a bizarre film, and I could only recommend this movie to one other person. He's the guy who likes outlandish things. Who would you recommend this film to? Did you recommend it to anybody? I could only recommend it to my weird brother-in-law. Anybody that enjoys a film with great atmosphere, superb acting, beautiful camera work, and a few genuinely unsettling moments is going to enjoy it. So why are you trying to scare people off? 
you don't have to be a weirdo to appreciate this one. It's weird, but you don't have to be a weirdo. So the next movie then is R R R, which would have been a great name for a pirate movie. Now that I'm, that's a terrible. R R R R R. It might be dominated. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be up for Best International, so we can skip it's it. It's on and- Netflix. It's an Indian film. <laughs> yeah. It's gotten, I mean, everybody seems to love it. So the next movie is Elvis, which will unfortunately be nominated for lots of things. So we can skip that. Next on the list then is Nope, which can also be skipped because that's probably going to be up for at least Best Picture and Best Writing. Wouldn't you agree? Maybe Best Writing. Okay. Here's one that won't be talked about in three years, so we can skip it. It's called See How They Run, which is on HBO Max right now. I enjoyed my time with this movie. It's a fun little whodunit. So if you got a moment and you feel like a nice mystery and you like Saoirse Ronan and you like Sam Rockwell, I recommend it. Crimes of the Future. David Cronenberg, you think this one's going to be up for anything? No, I think people already forgot this one existed. And I think it probably won't be talked about in three years. <laughs> and if it is, it'll only be talked about by people who are big Cronenberg fans. Very weird. I couldn't recommend it to anybody. Spirited is next on the list. Probably we'll, we'll probably still talk about because Christmas movies find a way to stick around. But let me tell you something about Spirited, all right? Spirited is one of the worst fucking films I have ever seen in my life. It has to be like a nomination for top three, at least. And like, I never walk out of films. And for whatever reason, maybe because of movie fatigue or whatnot, there's been a couple films this year that I'm like, should I walk out of this? I wanted to walk out of not this year, but Batman and Robin is like the first film that I could ever remember being like, I'm done with this. I don't think I need to see any more of this. The next one was House of Gucci. I think I started just texting you. I was all alone in the theater and was like, this movie is trash. And that one was actually nominated. But Spirited is one where I couldn't walk out without walking out with strangers because everybody was walking out of this film. It was one of those Regal Cinemas movie mystery Monday type things where you don't know what you're going to go see until you're sitting down in the theater. And then this movie started. And really, it's like... The three leads have no business being in a musical and the musical itself tries to do this meta thing of like making fun of itself like, oh, is this like Scrooge? No, it's like and Scrooge is one of my favorite films. And I'm like, this is nothing like like I wanted to scream at the screen and be like, this is nothing like what the fuck are you doing? This is the stupidest fucking cinematic experience I've ever had in 2022. Damn. Yeah. I hate everything that Spirited is, what it stands for. When was the last time Will Ferrell made something worth a damn? I don't know. And I'm just getting tired of Ryan Reynolds's shtick. It is. um, It's wearing. Yeah, I would agree. And they're everywhere. Like, I feel really bad for Octavia Spencer because I am not tired of her shtick. But in the same instance, when she comes into the movie and when she starts singing her song, it is so emotionless and it is so... You're already tired of the whole thing. So when she starts singing, that was probably the moment that I, instead of walking out of the theater, I simply took a nap. And then I woke up in the third act and was like, I might as well finish it now. Am I just, am I wrong? Am I wrong here? Do people like this movie? 55% on Metacritic, 81% audience score. God damn, 81%. One of the headlines from Christy Lamire, you're invited to my cookout. From Film Week, her headline says, it just keeps going. My goodness. <laughs> Absolutely agree with you, Christy. But there's people like, Spirited never gets you to a place of sore away joy exactly, but it's busy, silly, and not a bad time. Is one of the fresh critics. That's not a good review. 
I have to believe that there is a company somewhere that hires people to go on Rotten Tomatoes and write good reviews. Because there's all these like five-star reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's like, loved the storyline and the dancing and singing. Five stars. Finally, a new classic. Five stars from Rob, whoever, wherever he is. Wonderful Christmas movie. Fun twist on a Christmas character. Like Speaking, I- speaking of Will Ferrell and Christmas movies, you want to know something that's not going to surprise you? What? I think Elf is stupid. <laughs> I will say I like Elf. I like Scrooged. I like The Ref. I like, I'm, you told me, or you didn't tell me specifically, but you were like, Just Friends is my Christmas tradition. And so I watched that and I think I will adopt your Christmas tradition. The only thing I didn't like about Just Friends was all the open car windows. I didn't understand. <laughs> Man, you get hung up on the weirdest shit sometimes. I do. There's a lot of open car windows in that very cold environment of just friends. But as someone um, as someone who runs hot, I enjoy having the window down even when it's cold outside. All right. Well, I shit on Spirited enough. Spirited is a strong candidate for a category called films I'm never going to watch. Let's move forward. The next on our list is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. I don't think this one's going to be nominated for anything, but do you think people will be talking about this in three years? I think so, because Nicolas Cage is almost like his career is kind of timeless. Like people are still talking about Mandy. Not people. This that is I one know. of those. Really? Really? Yeah. I think anytime Nicolas Cage like comes around, people like to be like, did you see? He's got that kind of like Elijah Wood career where he's got like the weird indies. And then people just get, kind of go like, oh, a new Nicolas Cage's movie is coming out. Did you see Mandy? Did you see Primal? Not a bad watch. Mom and Dad, I put on for Second Chance Cinema, which was very fun if you like Selma Blair as well. I think people will be talking about this in three years. Good that I actually get to talk about a movie on this movie podcast. Anybody that hasn't figured it out yet, I am a snooty snoot who doesn't like Elf. I scoffed at Remember the Titans. I dared to criticize Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I think that Nicolas Cage has about three good movies, maybe four, but I'm here to bear witness. I'm here to testify. I'm here to tell it on the mountain. Cage was meant for this movie, not just because he was meant for this movie, but because he was meant for this movie. It was a lot of fun, like last half hour of hot fuzz level of fun. Thank you. Can you just stop stalling and answer the question? What is your third favorite movie of all time? Paddington 2. What? Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Paddington 2, connect those dots. I mean, I don't want to be a snob, but... I cried through the entire thing and made me want to be a better man. Bullshit, Mom! (laughs) Paddington 2 is incredible. I fucking told you. Will I like this as much on a second viewing? Probably not. But as I sat in the theater thinking I wasn't going to be entertained by this and then finding myself unable to not be entertained, man, I have to give this movie its props. Not only that, in a just world, this would be up for best original screenplay. But let me also asterisk that by saying it should be up for 
best original screenplay for the same reason 1917 should not have been. It was so structured and choreographed. Anybody who has studied script writing could see the strings, except where 1917's Save the Cat was so apparent. Massive talent went, this is exactly what we're doing. And so to a script writing, reading dweeb like me sitting in the audience, I was like, oh, fuck, this is so stupidly well written. I think I remarked to someone it was one of my favorite writes about the industry since adaptation, probably. I like thinking about Nicolas Cage's career because you already kind of noted it's it's been very strange. I wasn't really aware of him until leaving Las Vegas and The Rock, but he spent the 80s sort of building up his repertoire. And by the late 90s, I had gone back. I had seen Wild at Heart. I had seen Raising Arizona. But I was starting to phase in and out of his career. I still saw a handful of his movies in theaters, but other than adaptation, I was never truly impressed by anything. He was making literally whatever came across his desk for a while. Do you remember Bangkok Dangerous? Well, I remember he was like, he had like a spending problem, right? Like he went horribly in debt. I think he still has a spending problem. He made anything that came across his desk to pay his bills. But the internet at that point started immortalizing him in ironic meme internet fashion. The the still image from the family man became a very popular meme. And I think this movie is so perfectly timed because it steers into that, that silliness and that mockery. And it gives Cage, in the process, it gives Cage a little of his dignity back. It's goofy and it's predictable. I'd say it was still the most fun I had watching a movie this year. Not my favorite, but the most fun. Yeah, totally agree with you. It's it's something that I could recommend to everybody. Just watch it, have fun, get some popcorn, lay back, forget your worries. Next film on the list is Barbarian, which I do not believe will be nominated for anything. And if it is, I would be very happy. Do you think this one has staying power and will be talked about in three years or more? The fact that people keep bringing it up now, yeah, maybe. I think it will go down as like one of the one of those horror movies that people like The Descent. You know, it's one of those that people will recommend to people that want a good horror movie, but not a whole lot of people have seen. Okay. You loved it. I mean, it's your, one of your top three, is right? It was. Oh. It's an honorable mensch now. If you gave me five, it would be in there. Gotcha. Barbarian's another one I wish I'd seen in the theater. And I, th- I think I know what my problem is. I, I don't like sharing space with people, <laughs> which is why I enjoy an early morning weekend show or a lunchtime screening on a Tuesday. People tend to ruin everything. But anyway, Barbarian, which I did watch on HBO Max and not in a theater, doesn't change the horror game, but it's a lot of fun and really well put together. I don't want to say too much because this movie is one of those stories that unfolds really well. It's an above average horror film written and directed by Zach Kreger, and I look forward to anything that he has to give me. I go to the last showing on Sundays, usually, because people are, you know, trying to rest in time for work yeah, on Mondays. Yeah, it's too late for me. But if you do it, man, one, you get your theater experience. You pretty much always get the theater all to yourself. And then also, Monday's going to suck anyway. So just, <laughs> just just be tired for it. So make it worse. But you, but you start your week, as long as the movie is good, you start your week off right. And Barbarian is one. Actually, this is my interesting, not interesting story is that I showed up to the movies on a Monday night for a Mystery Monday movie from Regal on the mo- wrong Monday. 
<laughs> and they were like, it's not today, guy. It's next week. And I was like, oh, well, what's playing? What's the next movie playing? And they said, Barbarian. And I said, is it good? And the young whippersnappers behind the concession stand were like, bah, you, you won't think you wasted your time. And I was like, ah. I love that movie review. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. So I went in knowing nothing. And the way that the movie bounces around, it really kept me on the edge of my seat. And so I think this is a good, it's a good fun horror movie for 2022. Well, let's talk about another horror movie of 2022. Jordan Peele's Nope. And we already discussed Nope this season when you saw it and nobody else did. Yes, with Emily. And she hadn't seen it, though she was defending it. I I haven't been this disappointed. (laughs) I haven't been this disappointed by a movie since Man of Steel. So as with his first two films, Peel is again trying to say something profound with Nope. But I found the message, not unlike us, to be sort of nodded and murky. As near as I can tell, it deals with commodifying and exploiting animals and or black people for entertainment. But I could, I could barely find a reason to give a shit about the characters, let alone the message. I, I must have missed the Kiki Palmer train too. Everybody seems to think she was terrific. I thought she was very average. And Kaluuya's underplayed, strong, silent type performance, it, it could not shoulder the film. And how do you kill Keith David in the first four minutes of your movie? <laughs> as soon as Keith David died, I know I was like, Lee hates this. <laughs> oh, I hated it. I mean, the worst of it is too. I can I can forgive a lot of that, but the worst of it is it's not scary. It's not creepy. It's not spooky. There's one scene which I won't spoil, but you could call it fucked up, but it's not scary. I, I was mostly on board for Acts 1 and 2. I felt like it was building to this exciting finale. And then I was drowsy in Act 3. I was like, I just... And I'm definitely on an island, I think, when it comes to Nope. Other than the people that I saw it with, it seems as though everybody else recognized this masterpiece. So I'm going to revisit it at some point, and I'll try and resist seeing it with my white gaze, Emily, so I can find what I missed and what everybody else saw. So my little sister who was like, your horror episode, chef's kiss. She was like, have you seen Nope yet? And I went, I did. (laughs) And she's like, you didn't like it? And I was like, I did not. (laughs) And she was like, well, you have to, she's like, I didn't like it at first either. But then I researched what it's all about. And then I saw it a second time. And now I really like it. I think it was one of the best films of the year. And I was like, okay, good. And she's like, so you got to like, you have to go on the internet and look what it's about. And I went, I didn't like the film. I don't give a fuck what, like, I'm not going to go on the internet and research something I did not like so I can enjoy it better. I was like, make a film that I can enjoy on the first viewing and then want to go back and look into it. I see what she's saying, though. I, I think sometimes films require some contextualization. I'll, I'll, well, you will watch things twice. I will. Things Even if you didn't like it the first yes, time? I will. And I, I, I don't. I... <laughs> I, I see myself as a slow learner. So currently, Nope has 83% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 68% audience score. This is a movie, I think, for industry people. Like, industry people get the nuance of what Jordan Peele was going for here. So, why didn't you get it? You're industry people. Because when I sit in a theater, like, I forget what, what psychological detriment. <laughs> I have, I forget what it, whatever, it's like an ADD thing or something like that. But like when I sit in a theater, if I'm in a murder mystery, I'm not trying to predict who's done it unless I'm bored. Like I really sit in a theater and just kind of like let whatever wash over me, let the nuances, you know, go on. And if I really enjoyed something, then I'll go back and look up and be like, oh my gosh, I missed that, you know, type of thing. Like I'm still watching some of my favorite films.
films and being like, oh my gosh, I never, I never thought about that. There's a lot of times on this show, on Second Chance Cinema, that like you guys will tell me what I missed because I was not paying that close attention to these movies that I was enjoying so much. And when it came to Nope, the movie wasn't there enough for me to like really care about anything that was going on the second layer of it. Jordan Peele, unfortunately to me, I think is emulating M. Night Shyamalan's career. And that's, you know, his first movie with M. Night, it was The Sixth Sense. With Jordan Peele, it was Get Out. And those two are groundbreaking, will be inducted into the, what is it? National Film Registry. The second films of Unbreakable and Us entertaining, but probably not mainstaying power. And then the third film, Signs, which a lot of people like, but nobody really, you know, says is a great film. And Nope is going to be like the same kind of way. So what's next from Jordan Peele? Is it The Village? I mean, hopefully he never makes a mistake like the Twilight Zone remake again. But I really think like we need to start not being Emily and defending Jordan Peele because he did such a great work with Get Out. Yeah, it does seem like people are quick to jump to his defense, which is whatever. I mean, if I liked Nope and people around me didn't, I would jump to its defense, but I didn't. So I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on from Nope. What do you think of Noah Baumbach? Because I watched White Noise on Netflix, which I don't think is going to be nominated for anything. And I'm not sure if it will be talked about in the same way as DeLillo's novel is talked about. I don't really have an opinion on Noah Baumbach, I guess. Like, Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of my favorite Wes Anderson films. Marriage Story, I think, like I said, was like the recreation of Kramer versus Kramer. It was really, I think, was a really good job at telling the story of how divorce just makes two people who are once in love look like horrible, ridiculous enemies of each other suddenly, you know, because of not being compatible with one another. I zoned out on the Merowitz stories. So some things I like, some things just didn't interest me, I guess it would be a Noah Bombeck opinion. I like the scripts that he co-wrote with Wes Anderson. You mentioned Fantastic Mr. Fox. Life Aquatic is probably a scotch below Darjeeling Limited as my favorite Wes Anderson movie. But as for the scripts that he's written and directed, Francis Ha is really the only one I liked. And his new movie, White Noise, is on Netflix right now. They don't look scared in the Crown Victoria. Yeah, they're laughing. These guys aren't laughing. Where? In the country square. What does it matter what they're doing in other cars? I want to know how scared I should be. Life is good, Jack. As long as the children are here, we're safe. May the days be aimless. Let the seasons drift. Do not advance the action according to a plan. I watched it mostly because Baumbach only adapted the story. It's it's based on a book of the same name, very famous novel by Don DeLillo, which I have read twice, both times as an academic requirement, Spro, before you get huffy with me. Have you read White Noise? I have not. 
Well, I enjoy this story. I enjoy the pretentious dialogue. I don't always understand everything that the characters are saying, but I enjoy thinking about it. Would I read this book again for pleasure? Probably not, but I'd consider listening to the audio on a long drive. Anyway, Baumbach kind of sifted through that pretentious dialogue and the often nebulous narrative, and I think he put together a really solid script For a movie about death, there's quite a bit of life in every scene. I was also impressed with his set design, particularly the grocery store, which I kind of want to live in a little bit, which I I, I know is wrong, but I do. I (laughs) I really enjoyed this movie. I have not seen it, but I will move on to a movie that I've seen that you have not, which is Playground. In Playground, you could find, you could get a, perhaps wait right before the Oscars if you are an Oscar file like me. Mubi is a streaming service that offers seven day free streaming, and there's probably going to be a lot of films on there, particularly in the international category. They seem to carry a lot of those. Playground is going to be one of them. Playground is like a taut 77 minute film that's going to stick with me like Scarborough. It's a film not only told, but shot on the level of a small child trying to deal with the politics of being a child on a playground of a school. The camera is never more than three feet off the ground, and the focus is never really drawn away from the small girl who, like the children in Scarborough, just seems like she's being herself with her friends. And it's one of those films that like, you can get into and reminisce about your days as being a child or think about the children that you currently know in your life and the crap that they have to deal with on a daily basis when it comes to school Monday through Friday. And the film really starts centering on an uneasy feeling when her brother starts getting bullied. And the bullying only gets worse if she tries to intercede. So based off of the bully's recommendations and her brother's insistence, she has to stay back at a distance and just watch everything happen and try to keep the secret for her brother from the teachers and from their father who picks them up every day. So I didn't know how this film was all going to end. And when it ended, I was standing on my treadmill, sweat dripping, leaning over the control board. And my jaw was just pretty much on the floor. And I was like, that was it. And the credits roll and there's no music. And I was like, I don't know if I like the I don't know if I liked it just ending like that, but then and like I don't playground is one of those like I said, it's seventy seven like you are not going to be disappointed and it will probably make you think a little bit about how children everywhere are learning social skills really and how to interact with each other and what they have to avoid. I'm gonna watch it today. That's my that's I was trying to find some figure out something I wanted to watch today. That's my choice. Do you think this is going to be up for best international? Uh, no. No. Okay. I so don't, why, did you, for whatever, why did you tell people to wait possibly until the Oscars? Well, just for that seven-day free trial, because also on Mubi is- um, Decision to leave. Decision to leave, Mr. Bachman's and I'm his class. Watching, I'm not watching that. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said but it was four hours, I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> When we were talking about how I was like, there needs to be a streaming service for all these best international features, it seems like Mubi has a lot of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I'll watch that one today. All right. Mercifully, we're at the end of our, well, almost at the end of this year in review episode. Spro, you asked me to compile my top three of 2022. Did you also do the same? I did. Do you have any honorable mentions before your three? No. (laughs) All right. Well, I do. So here are my honorable mentions before I get to my list. First is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Again, 
most fun I had watching a movie this year. Next is X, which is one I will definitely be returning to in the future. I can't wait to watch that one again. And then third is The Woman King. Viola Davis, amazing as always. Lashana Lynch is my new favorite actress, and I still can't believe that with the level of violence in this movie that it was rated PG-13. It was that good? Like I should go out and watch The Woman King? Yeah, it's good. Not great. It's good. Why is it called The Queen? Because in the tribe, the Dahomey tribe, that's what they call it. Because the king is typically male, obviously. And instead of maybe they don't have a word for queen or their word for queen is whatever their language denotes the woman king translates to. So I don't know. Gotcha. Because I remember sitting in the theater and being like, oh, this looks like a good film. Always love Viola Davis. I'll see whatever. And then I went, the woman king. And I went, "Mm, I'm not going to see that movie. It should be called the queen. I'm a jerk. All right, here's my top three, which does not include like 12 or 13 Oscar bait flicks that I have been putting off. So it might change between now and March. I doubt it, but it might. My number three is White Noise, which is my mindworm movie of 2022. People talk about songs as as earworms. This movie was a mindworm. As I watched it, I was sort of in a trance. I had just eaten a big dinner. I was comfy. And the movie is kind of trance-inducing. And when it ended, I sat and watched the entire credit sequence with a big dumb smile on my face. That was a week ago. And I've involuntarily thought about it multiple times a day since. And I love it when movies do that to me. It means that it touched something that I can't put my finger on. And that's cool. Spro, you're number three. Well, I just talked about it, but it's Playground, the Denmark film. Okay. I was trying to think of like, do we do top three American films? But no, Playground is one that I, ever since I saw it, I'm recommending it to as many people as I can. Yeah, no, we should just all inclusive. My number two is Everything Everywhere All at Once. I love that A24 and not Disney made the best multiverse movie of the year, which is, you know, a lot of people have said that. But I also love that the actor who played Short Round is more than likely going to be up for an Oscar this year and is the favorite to win currently. I think the directors, the Daniels rule, and I think this movie might have added hours to my life. What's your number two? (laughs) What's your number two, Spro? I like that. And actually... The fact that we're going through these, I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't that a complete waste of <laughs> movies for the year, considering the fact that, like, yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once would probably be on my, like, an honorable mention, I guess. My number two is The Banshees of Inishman. Inishirin. In, in a, what? In I Shirin. <laughs> so just the Banshees, I guess. <laughs> Maybe if the title was better. <laughs> oh, my God. The Banshees of Innersham. We didn't talk about this is going to be up for all kinds of awards. Martin McDonough is the last time that he graced our presence was the three billboards of Ebbing, Missouri. He does these films that are subtle in a way, but have treachery always right behind everything that is going on on the screen. And so while the first viewing that I gave this movie, I kind of didn't get it. Like to me, I think it was almost too subtle. I rewatched this movie last night because it wasn't until our conversation with I know movies and you don't that I started realizing that I probably glommed on to the wrong character to get the message of what this movie was doing. And then rewatching it, I went, oh, yes, like this is I understand the heart of it. And I understand the absolute dismal nature of what Colin Farrell's character is going through. It was probably in my top 10, but 
after a rewatch was probably my second favorite film of the year. Well, that's my number one, Banshees of Inisherin, And I can't wait to watch it again. I've got a date to watch it with my wife, my brother, and my dad this weekend. It felt nearly perfect to me. Uh, I didn't reach for my phone once. I was glued. The interactions between Farrell and Gleason alone would have put it in my top three. But then you add Carrie Condon, Barry Cogan, Ben Davis's cinematography, Carter Burwell's score, and the damp melancholy of the Emerald Isle. And you've got my favorite film of the year. I mean, it hit me square in the soul, which was nice because it reminded me that I have one. Ireland is one of those places. It's like on my top three that I I want to go to. I have to visit Ireland. I'm not Irish. I don't practice any of the culture, but in the same instance, to me, it looks like one of the most beautiful places in the world. So then I was watching, I was like, oh, this is going to be up for best cinematography. And then I was thinking, how hard is it to make Ireland look beautiful though? (laughs) But I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's not just turn on the camera and let the scenery do its work. There's, I mean, there's got to be more to it than that. Otherwise, don't you think more people would be like, let's go film this in Ireland? That or New Zealand, you know, like that always looks beautiful. But maybe I just, I'm too used to Cleveland. (laughs) Maybe Maybe you do need to get the fuck out. All right. What's your number one? So my number one is a surprise to even me because I did not want to watch it at all. And that is All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a war movie coming out of Germany. The reason why this surprised me so much, one, All Quiet on the Western Front won the third best picture of all time. And I watched it in an airport somewhere on a fire tablet and just kind of like trudged through the movie. But in the same instance, remaking best pictures like Spielberg did with West Side Story, like somebody I don't even know did with Ben-Hur. I do not think these movies should be touched whatsoever. It won best picture, leave them alone, except this movie. I started this movie on the treadmill, considering the fact that it was subtitled and I watch subtitled movies on the treadmill because it helps me focus on them. This is a movie that made me stay on the treadmill. And like I ran on the treadmill twice in one day because I had to go back and watch more of it. And then I just stood in the middle of my living room, glued to the TV, finishing it. Partly because one, it was teaching me history. It's all about Germany versus France and World War One. I. I know very little about World War One. I. I know how it changed the world and I know how it started. But as far as World War One is concerned, it's one of those times in history that I just slept through in school. And they don't deal too much with the history of the war per se, but they deal a lot with how the soldiers are dying on the field and the politicians are having small little bickering to try and save the soldiers or just continuing to let the soldiers die in the field. It's a war movie, though that really does not hold back on showing you the horror of war. Some people might think it's a little war porn-ish, probably, but it is the first scene. It's the storming of Normandy of Saving Private Ryan for the entire film. And as somebody that his favorite horror film is Black Hawk Down, just because it's it deals very little with character because in the end, soldiers are there for one purpose and one purpose only as far as countries are concerned. It's a film that really showed to me war is horrible and we really need to figure out everything that we can to make sure that we do not put men on the battlefield. I've never seen anything like it. And so that is my number one. 
All right. Final segment. I <laughs> saved it for the end because it is self-serving. But if you've listened this far, maybe another minute minute or two won't hurt. So our, our little show is still little, but each year we've gained listeners. And while we don't put up the most earth-shattering numbers, I'm really happy with what we do and how many people seem to like what we're doing most of the time. According to our stats, your voice and my voice have been heard by strangers in 26 countries. And that's cool as hell to me. Thank you. And we hope you like what you're hearing. And we want to hear from you. Reach out, talk to us. We're needy. We need feedback. Even if it's negative, we can take it. So send an email to takeontheacademy at gmail.com. DM us on Instagram at takeontheacademy. Or if you don't want to deal with us directly, you can write an anonymous review for Apple Podcasts on Facebook, or even on Google. If you can't figure out how to do that, Google it, or I'll help you. I promise I will, even if it's going to be a negative review. Yeah, I've been saying it for years now, Lee, about getting out more on Reddit. And maybe I was just putting you in the yard, hoping you'd run off some energy because I couldn't care less about Reddit. But I'm on it. I see the appeal. And I noticed the subreddit of the Academy Awards is run by a man who's like, I don't know what to do here. And I think it's high time we took it over. Mm. So if you're listening, God damn it, that's where you can find me. Come argue with me as I found people on Reddit want to do and downvote my opinions. Yeah, Redditors can be ruthless. I, I guard Ooh. my my upvotes very stingily. <laughs> I'm afraid to say something because I don't want to lose my Reddit karma, which is pretty pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, dear listener, if you do happen to know anybody who is keen on movies and open to podcasts, please suggest our show to them. Spro and I would love to keep growing. Okay, I'm done being cloying and needy. Does being cloying and needy work? Name me someone who has made it who is cloying and needy. Anybody in the entertainment realm or politics or business. Nay, I say you talk like you made it, my friend. Is the president humble? Does Kim Kardashian ever pontificate that her empire was started on a maternally timed, well-placed sex romp with a hardly been pop star? Does LeBron's tattoo say, hope to be the chosen one? Nay! Nay, I say. So I say we say we are the best goddamn hindsight Oscar podcast out there. We're in, what did you say? 26 countries? Which means that there are 224 of you countries out there that haven't been entertained by our opinions yet, haven't been educated by our research, haven't been tickled by Lee's weird insights. What I want to put out there as we wrap up this season is I once said over the phone with you that this is an art, and you record scratched the moment and said, hmm, would you call this podcast art? And I said, yeah, we don't get a dime for this. We won't take a dime for this. This podcast is free for everyone and we pay to put it out. We don't take a dime because we would have to squander some of the structure, some of the nuance, some of the show if we accepted money. So this is all I ask. This is all I cloy and need from our listeners. Spread the word. We will pay for advertising when we can on our limited educator's salaries, but all you have to do is tell people about our podcast. If you want a sticker, we'll get you a sticker for your laptop case or wherever. Slap a sticker on a stop sign on Sunset. That might be illegal to say to do. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay, don't slap a Spro and Lee sticker on a stop sign on Sunset, but think about maybe possibly slapping a sticker on a stop sign on Sunset. You know what I'm saying. Regardless, the reason why this is art, Lee, is you are in your room over there in the desert with no mosquitoes, and I am here in Ohio, and we write scripts, which is an art form, and we record, which is production, and then we edit, which is another art form. And so all this, all this is art, man, wrapped in a show called Spro and Lee Take on the Academy. Art is an expression. Does a painter paint a painting to end up in a museum or to make a sale to an individual who will appreciate it? Are we recording for our listeners to someday fill the Hollywood Bowl? Because as I sit here, my friend, I know I say these words to entertain you first and foremost, and perhaps that one person out there. 
If one person said Spro and Lee Take on the Academy was their favorite podcast, well, I'd die a happy man. And we got a taste of it with your brother Lawrence, who said he was thankful for the show to introduce him to a movie. And to me, that connection between us and them, that's the art. I love this. I love you, my friend. And I love you, dear listener. And God damn it, for better or worse, I love the Academy Awards. All right. Well, I mean, that covers two approaches. I came with the needy cloying approach and Captain Big Balls over here came with the go fuck yourself, we rule approach. Uh, Either way, (laughs) thanks for listening now and in the future. Looking ahead, Spro and I have a few upcoming episodes between here and season four, our Oscar pre-show. We did an Oscar post-show last year, so we might as well do another one this year. We've got a filmmaker interview and a comprehensive discussion on the Indiana Jones saga. No firm dates on any of those as of today, but our Instagram will keep you updated. So until then, dear listeners, I'm Lee. I'm Spro. And we hope to see you sitting front row when the envelopes are red. Red.